You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. It is no secret the 76ers are right now in the midst of what might very well end up being their toughest stretch of the 2018-19 schedule. And so far, it's off to a pretty good start. We're going to call up ESPN's Kevin Arnovitz to get some of his always insightful thoughts about where things are at with the team. Can they be one of the top four defenses in the league down the stretch? I think that, ironically, not the, oh, these guys and chemistry offensively and all that is secondary to can they give up three fewer points per 100 possessions because that's really the margin if they do that they're the third best team in basketball after milwaukee and golden state statistically we'll also hear from a sixers super fan a high school student with a fan page on instagram that's up to nearly seventy thousand followers all that coming up on this episode of the broadcast What's going on out there, 76ers pie people? Brian Seltzer bidding you hello. It's been a while, yeah, about a week and a half. Sorry for that. Just trying to get some things timed out right with our production schedule and figured that for this episode, the juncture would be appropriate to dial up Kevin Arnovitz, a guy who I think is one of the top reporters out there covering the NBA, and talk to him about all things state of the 76ers, how things have gone for the team since the big trade for Jimmy Butler and looking ahead to what figures to be a very challenging road trip with teams like the Denver Nuggets, the LA Lakers. Will LeBron be available next Tuesday? We'll find out soon enough, I would think. Golden State and Sacramento, those are the other two stops on this upcoming Western Conference trek for the Sixers, which begins on Saturday in the Mile High City. So yes, we'll hear from Kevin Arnovitz, and I'm also going to speak with young, well, at least a guy who I think is young, Tyler Lehman, a sophomore at Unionville High School from Westchester, Pennsylvania, and his family was good enough to support the Sixers Youth Foundation Gala, and as a reward... 
I guess you could call it a reward. He got to appear on an episode of the broadcast, and this is that episode, so we'll speak with Tyler on this episode of the pod as well. Before we call up Kevin Arnovitz, a reminder that to subscribe to the podcast, you can do so in a couple ways. Just go to your favorite podcasting platform, type in Sixers Podcast Network. That will take you to our feed, and we do invite you, if you've not yet done so already, to subscribe. So how are things going with the 76ers as we hit just about the 50-game mark of the season? I think on the surface, you got to say pretty good. I suppose it's all a matter of perspective, who you speak with when. Obviously, people who follow the team, whether you're a media member or a fan, on a day-in, day-out basis, if you live it, if you breathe it, you might have a different view on how things are going with the Sixers compared to someone who takes a broader national look at how things are with the Sixers. Um, And I think that uh, if you read his stuff, if you listen to him on ESPN's various NBA podcasts or watch him on the jump, Kevin Arnovitz does as good a job as anyone out there, um, not just giving you the depth of coverage, Um, at a highly sophisticated level, but also giving you measured coverage of what's happening in the NBA. So Kevin is always gracious with his time and good enough to join us on this episode of the podcast. Kevin, how are you, man? I'm well. How are you? I am doing great. Um, I'm also thinking back to the start of the year when you came out with a piece about the 76ers, some of the key personalities that factor into what was a highly anticipated start of the season for this group. And now that we're just past the midway point, where do you think things are at for the Sixers team right now? I mean, well, they are one of those teams for whom the beginning of the season seems like an alternate history almost. (laughs) Just so much has obviously changed. It's it's impossible to sort of evaluate the constitution of that team, um, you know, sort of uh, who they were, what they were trying to do, uh, you know, with the composition of this roster. So, uh, and that's, 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 that's by no means a criticism. It's just, uh, it's just an indication is how quickly things change. Um, We've gone from like kind of, you know, a guiding organizational philosophy to sort of a, you know, a a slight uh, detour of that, of that philosophy, but still kind of core principles, um, a particular style of play, uh, you know, then, then sort of pieces were swapped. And, and now you have this new project, which I don't think we, any of us really know what it is yet. And and I'm actually one of those people who doesn't think that's a problem. I mean, I think I mean, the one benefit of an 82 game season, and I will argue vociferously for shortening that season. <laughs> actually, I think I'm doing that at MIT Sloan this year. I'm actually arguing for a shortened season uh, is that if nothing else, even though it gives us loads of meaningless midweek games that are diluted in importance, uh, what it does do is allows a team like the 76ers, um, which are probably, it it might be the, of the sort of contending teams in this league, the one just that's undergoing the most kind of evolutionary change in a short period of time. It gives it time to kind of figure out what it is. So I, I feel like, there, there's this undue panic on the Sixers uh, that that sort of afflicts them, and maybe it's because of the expectations that were set, you know, years ago. With hey, hey, if we do it this way, we will succeed. Maybe it's because, um, you know, whether you know Ben Simmons not being able, you know, to hit a long range shot is somehow, I I, I think an, an Achilles heel that people can kind of literally almost you know grab onto, and. 
um, and so it makes them vulnerable to scrutiny, whether it's because Jimmy Butler is new, uh, because he does tend stylistically to gravitate to a, a style of ball that hasn't been what's prevailed in Philadelphia over the last couple of years. Um, you know, this is a team that's been, I think, leading the league in passes last and kind of straight up pick and roll. Um, it, it is a kind of a motion oriented offense that accounts for some of its inherent weaknesses. And so I just feel like where are we with the Sixers is it, it is a work in progress. I don't think anybody knows what it's going to look like in March and April. Um, that's not to say I don't have certain misgivings. It's not to say I don't have certain you know, biases, but I, I, I just think that this is the hardest team to evaluate among, say, the top, you know, five in the East and nine in the West or 10 in the West, if you will. And that basically, and it's going to be that way until April 12th. And that hinges on, in your mind, what chemistry, how things ultimately evolve, um, what moves are made over the course of the next, as I look at the counter right now, roughly five weeks or so? Where do you see as the biggest touch points along that area of the high upside potentially or, or where things could possibly go in another direction? I mean, I, I think the upside is that they're the best team in the East. I mean, I, I think that's the upside. Uh, and, and when you really look at the standings, it's it's not that much of a, you know, the, the, it, there's really not much. You know, I've been, it actually, it's funny. I, I, when the sort of Celtics started, when, when Kyrie started saying odd things, which is not a new thing, Kyrie says odd things. That's what Kyrie does. Um, but it, it did strike me that there was this kind of period at soon after the trade where, you know, every Sixers loss was followed by this bizarre hand wringing. Um, and yet they were still consistently two games up on the Celtics who were escaping you know, critique, oh, it'll come together, and hey, we're just been a little hurt, and, and it'll all be fine. And, you know, it wasn't until I, I, I think that there got to be a kind of a layer of drama there. But, I, you know, I, every time this would happen, and the Sixers are sort of consigned to, oh, they might be a first round out, everything's apocalyptic, you'd look at the standings like, wait a minute, they're they're actually, you know, tied for third or, or in fourth, uh, two games up on Boston. Um, and and I, so I, I think that, like, we, we just I, I think we don't really know what it's going what it, the final product is going to be. And I, mean, I guess there is no final product like, like teams evolve over time. I mean, that's what they do. Um, the final product. I mean, this time last year, I don't think at the Sixers started their big win streak yet. No, um, they I, were, I don't remember the dates of that. They were right around 500 going into February. Right. So, I mean, the idea that we know anything. And I am. I am. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say this. I, I say this as somebody who is one of those people who believes as our friend Tom Haberstow does, that you know, by and large, if you look most years with most teams, if you look at the results after 35 games or so, you have a general feel for, for, for what the balance of power looks like in a league. Um, but, you know, to me, it's still an issue of, you know, this team has succeeded uh, playing a pass-happy, non-pick-and-roll-oriented style of play. I think they still have set... 400 fewer picks this season than the 29th team, which I believe is either the Warriors or Bucks or Denver, one of those teams. So it's like, it, it's, it's a really, they're, they're still fundamentally who they are. And I think that sort of, to the extent there's, there's tension, you know, with, with incorporating a new talent like Jimmy Butler, I think it's, Hey, look, stylistically, this is a template that is sort of, I would say 
I don't, I don't think it worked incredibly, incredibly well. I mean, the, the, the Sixers have been an above average offensive team, an elite defensive team during their sort of salad days of the last year or so. I mean, when, when they played really, really, when the Sixers are on top of their game, they're one of the best defensive teams in basketball. And, you know, they generate enough really nice looks despite, you know, being vulnerable to turnovers, despite not having real great self shot creation at the guard positions. Um, and yet they get it done, you know, despite having to probably count on post-ups uh, for, for Joel a little more frequently than maybe a staff would be inclined, right? That, that's who we're talking about when we talk about the Philadelphia 76 so that combination of traits, right? And, um, you know, what's interesting is actually the starting lineup with, 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 with Jimmy and, and Wilson Chandler is actually, my last calculation, better than the starting lineup with Kawhi and Kyle, better than the starting lineup in Milwaukee. Um, which is setting the world on fire, set it better than starting lineup in, in, in Indianapolis and better than either of the sort of two models that the, the Celtics have used. And so you have all this hand wringing um, when I think actually the margin of deficit in terms of their potential is actually on the defensive end where I don't know, Brian, where do they rank this morning? 10th, 11th, 9th. They're starting to get right up uh, to uh, I believe they are I'm looking it up right now. They're 10th. They're Right, and they're 10th, uh, so I was just looking this up. They're 10th since the Jimmy Butler trade um, in, in defense, which, you know, not quite where they were last and 10th year. 10th overall. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and then on offense, they're 6th overall, just a, a few tenths of a point behind Boston uh, since the Butler right. trade. So uh, this chemistry is an interesting topic. Now, I, I think there's something to be said. Do they need to add depth, right? I mean, uh, there are a lot of people who believe that the Bellinelli and Ilyasova acquisitions last winter propelled that big win streak. Uh, it made them kind of believe in themselves and, and you know, are there depth issues? I, I, I think so. I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm a Shamit guy. Uh, I think he's, he's been a far more capable and versatile combo guard than, than, than I think most of us thought he could be. But, you know, to me, the margin, like where do they pick up that difference? I mean, where do they sort of get into the conversation for one, two, and three rather than the conversation for three, four, and five is, you know, can they be the, one of the top four defenses in the league down the stretch? And I think that, ironically, not the, oh, these guys and, you know, the chemistry offensively and why isolation isn't really, you know, all that is secondary to, you know, they give up 107.6 points per 100 possessions right now. Can they get that down to about 104.5? You know, can they give up three fewer points per 100 possessions? Because that's really the margin. I mean, that is, you know, that brings them up to, I mean, if they do that, they get three points better on defense. They're the third best team in basketball after Milwaukee and Golden State statistically. I mean, that's the margin. It's not offensive. As you said, they're what six and Jimmy got there. So I think that's, to me, that's very much kind of the, you know, what's at play here. It's funny because you can, you can look at a lot of different numbers and see things certain ways. And the Sixers, they're in the midst of the early stage of this stretch now where it's 12 straight opponents going to the all-star break that have winning records, all but two of those teams in the playoff picture. Sixers didn't have Jimmy when they knocked out uh, Houston on Monday. And their last four games since the stretch began, their defense has jumped up to top three in the league just over um, 100. So I, I think when looking at the Sixers, going back to your point about the benefits of an 82-game schedule, letting things play out, you know, if you talk to them, they'll say, well, our chemistry and our talk on the court is getting better. We change some things out where we play the low man our defense and it's it is something that takes time um 
going back and asking you about the, the surface-level view of things with Jimmy Butler um, and when the team brought him in, you know, it's funny you referenced Covington, and I feel like some fans in a perfect world might look at it and be like, well, if we had Jimmy and then plus two of the guys that we didn't give up in Robert Covington and Dario Saric, well, then this team would be loaded for bear, getting back to where things stand now with depth. But you obviously can't have it that way. I mean, what's your philosophy on when a player like that or a deal like this comes along um, and the possibility to obtain an all-league, all-star Olympian, you know, so on and so forth comes along? What do you do? What's your stance and philosophy on that, generally speaking? I mean, it's really tough. Uh, And and, and it's particularly tough because, uh, you know, I'm I'm both a Cov and Dario Saric person uh, for different reasons entirely. Like, I, I, I think, like, you know, if he can retain, if he can get healthy again, Covington might be on my All NBA defensive ballot again this year. And I, I just think he's a really gifted defender. And you know, I, I just love Saric. I'm just a huge fan of the player. Um, and so, but I also am somebody who believes in risk. Like I do think that risk aversion is something that it's like one of the worst traits of most front offices. Is just the fear of the unknown. And I just think that when you're up against, like when you're within a cap system and you're up against like warrior type dynasties and just it's, it's a top heavy conference. I do think that gambling is worthwhile sometimes. Like, I don't know. I mean, they're obviously when all is said and done objectively, we'll be able to say who won the trade. Um, and if there's confetti flying in, in Philadelphia, that's a pretty good indication it's Philadelphia. Um, and just because there isn't doesn't mean that they didn't win the trade. It, you know, it's sort of with like Warriors and Durant. Like if I'm the Warriors, do I make that acquisition? Well, of course you do. History will judge the trade. Um, and, you know, some of that will be Jimmy and his resolve and, and you know, how much he wants it to work. And I think that's still really the big outstanding variable. But there will be a part of me that will always wonder what that model could have achieved. It's like that whole, you know, uh, nostalgia versus new age type um, dynamic. It's like, what what side of the line do you do you fall on with that? Sometimes to step forward, that nostalgia has to go away. I, I mean, I it's it really is a fascinating thing to look at. And, and I'm not I'm not somebody. I, I'm actually in most areas of policy and, and culture and politics and everything else, I tend to be kind of a rationalist. Like I don't, I don't like nostalgia. I don't like emotion or sort of aesthetic bias guiding good policymaking. Right. And, and, and at the end of the day, that's what Elton Brand and the team does, right? Like they make policy. I mean, they essentially, you know, they make decisions based on information and, you know, with the eye towards future success, right? Like that's what they do. I mean, he's basically, that's what Elton's doing. He's running the Fed there and he's coming up with a rate that makes, you know, like that's, that's what, that's what management does. And, and so I, I recognize that everything I, I said doesn't really have anything to do with, you know, with, with future success uh, just because it was a cute, you know, inchoate little thing doesn't mean that, you know, the Sixers should stick with it forever. Um, it just, it, it, it's just fascinating because again, I mean, I think one of the things that one of the things we're seeing uh, is just, you know, certain compromises with uh, with playing style. But you also just look and, you know, he gives them a pick and roll option on the perimeter is in and of itself is, is a real luxury to have. I mean, there, because I think the postseason is as demonstrated last year. 
it requires certain adjustments. Like I, I always said, like the, the playoffs are not very kind to orthodoxy. You know, systems with the, you know with the with the possible exception of the San Antonio Spurs, like by and large, like most systems to prosper in the postseason, really have to do some rerouting at a certain point. Like scouting's too good, right? Like defenses. If you're up, if you're playing in May, chances are you're up against a really good defense who knows how to respond to your system. You know, can you pull the fire alarm and be comfortable with that? Right. And that sort of flexibility. But it is. So, I mean, that's one of the reasons I kind of like the Butler trade. It was a really tight deal. Um, But I think one of them is, is that Jimmy does give you a level of flexibility. He gives you an escape valve in certain possessions um, that, you know, your current perimeter roster doesn't necessarily bring. Yet I also, you know. I mean, to me, you know, I'll go, I'll go to war with a dribble handoff, you know, JJ Redick, Joel Embiid system any day. You know, I'll go to war. I don't care if he can't shoot from distance. You know, Ben Simmons towering over an opposing point guard by six inches, what that presents defensively, and the fact that he's a freight train when he does have the ball in his hands with any kind of space is still something I, you know, I'll appreciate. Um, I got two more for you before we wrap this up. Um, I would just love to get your thoughts on when you look at Joel Embiid's profile statistically or you can just look to other things intangible-wise that you can't put a finger on specifically. Um, what is the most impressive thing about the way he has gone about year number three playing? Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I think the most impressive thing is watching him sort of be a stabilizing force at a very unstable time. I mean, just think about what Joel the trade does like kind of meant to him. Like he's the guy who's sort of, you're not running. You would never describe this as an offense that's run through Joel. Cause it certainly isn't. It's, he's not a, you know, a high elbow kind of that kind of big is not what he does. Uh, I think he can, but you know, basically two of the four people surrounding him left and were replaced by a high usage wing, you know, and a guy he didn't really know terribly well in Wilson. So, like, I think that can be really destabilizing. Um, I, I think so much of this for the last couple of years has been knowing where everybody's going to be. I mean, I think that was sort of the, you know, the beauty of, I mean, when you watch the choreography with JJ, I mean, that's something that always kind of stands out. I mean, with, with him and Ben, it, it, it's still a learning process. They're both just really young players. So I think sort of just providing an anchor of stability at an unstable time. I mean, like, like everyone has acted as the trades have been really disruptive. Like, I'm surprised it hasn't been more, so... You know, like, and I, and I think that to me, I mean, what, what I'm really excited to watch him do is just sort of is refine his selectivity. Um, I was watching DeMarcus Cousins, who has about four or five years or maybe six years on, on, on Joel and just how intuitively decision making comes to him. Like Joel is just starting to scratch the surface of his judgment of just the telepathy you can establish with teammates, not what you can do in the post. We know he can pretty much take anybody one-on-one, right? Like, I mean, that, that's just a given, but I'm talking about like just the bonus opportunities. And we see it a few times a night. I mean, it's a question of having those aha moments, you know, 4.7 times a night versus having them like 8.3 times a night. Cause that's like, that's basically four extra points for hundred possessions for your team. I mean, that's how powerful that instinct can be to have a big who 
is the entire gravitational force for your offense. And then, oh, by the way, when the defense gravitates, just abuses you with <laughs> good passes, good kickouts, you know, two-man game, you know. And, and, and so, you know, the way he kind of works with J.J., imagine he gets that way with three other guys. Like that to me. Right. right, Like that, that, that's sort of, and and that's when the confetti falls in in Philadelphia. Uh, We got a couple key dates in the calendar coming up. Obviously the first week of February is one with the trade deadline. Then there's the March 1st buyout deadline. Relatively speaking, where are the 76ers right now? Best hunt you can get on the spectrum of the good list. On the good list, like like from a larger global standpoint, like on the like this is a franchise where you want your guy if you're an agent or if you are a player you want to be there. Sure, desirability, um, yeah, all that. I mean, I think I think the Sixers are. I mean, in, in some ways, I, I, you know, one of the things I liked about the Butler trade is it was sort of a. I I, I always think whenever a, a a franchise can make a vote of self confidence, that's a good thing. And when it, when, a, when a franchise can say to the league, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll trade very valuable assets for this guy, even though we have no guarantee, because we're basically betting on ourselves. And so I, I think that's a demonstration of a team on the good list, the infrastructure, everything else. Um, Brett Brown. I mean, Joel is a guy, I think, who who just kind of commands that as well. Like that's I mean, if you're a perimeter player in this league, I mean, I, 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 you don't want to play with that. Um, you know, if you're an initiator, I mean, that, that, that to me is, is sort of self-evident. So, I mean, are they on the sort of the, the golden Dean's list of the good list, you know, sort of the, the unimpeachable Celtics and the impeachable Lakers, but still very much the gold standard because of who they are as a franchise and brand or, or the warriors. No, but I do think they're on the good list. Kevin Arnovitz, always great to pick the brain, get the wisdom and the insights. Thanks very much, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Kevin Arnovitz, a guy who clearly does a lot of thinking and also makes you think. It's one of the things I love about him. Um, Do not miss anything that Kevin touches. Article, podcast, TV hit, all that good stuff. We appreciate Kevin coming on the podcast. We're going to hear from Tyler Lehman and his story in just a moment. But first, a couple of upcoming scheduling highlights for the 76ers once they're back from the West Coast trip. Chinese New Year celebration presented by Temple University is going to be February 5th. 8 o'clock game against the Toronto Raptors. First 5,000 fans in attendance are going to receive a giveaway courtesy of Temple University. And then later on that week, the first week of February, it's going to be Moses Malone Jersey Retirement Night. Yes, that's February 8th, 7 o'clock against the Denver Nuggets. And all fans are going to get a Moses Malone t-shirt courtesy of Mitchell and Ness. And then also on this great stretch of home games, LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers only appearance of the season set for Sunday, February 10th, 3.30. For all your ticketing needs, visit StubHub.com to get in the building. How would you like to be a 16-year-old with over 70,000 followers on Instagram? Heck, I'd like to be a 33-year-old with 70,000 followers on Instagram. But such is the distinction for Tyler Lehman, whose family has had season tickets to the 76ers for years. He is now next in line and 
in terms of his family's pedigree and the next generation to come along and be part of that season ticket package. And Tyler and his family were good enough to support the 76ers Youth Foundation at last year's gala at the Fillmore and bid on the opportunity to appear on an episode of the podcast. So this is going to be that pod. And before the Sixers hosted the Oklahoma City Thunder a few days ago, I had the chance to sit down with Tyler, talk about himself and his 76ers fandom. Well, I will tell you, for all this time, I really thought it was literally just my wife, maybe my 10-month-old twins, and my parents, maybe my mom-in-law, if I'm lucky, who listened to the old podcast. But it was tremendous to learn over the off-season, into the spring and summer, that we had a generous group of fans who were willing to bid on some items at the Sixers Youth Foundation Gala last spring in March uh, to appear right here on the podcast. And the winner... Tyler Lehman, 16 years old from Westchester, Pennsylvania, out of Unionville High School. Tyler, I would say thank you for drawing the short straw, but I will say thank you for supporting a great cause, man. This is cool. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's great to be here. Well, listen, um, it is uh, our pleasure, and uh, once again, thanks for uh, doing your thing, you and your family, for uh, supporting the Sixers Youth Foundation. So tell us about yourself. What type of Sixers fan are you? How long have you been following the team? So... I'd say for about three years, I've been a diehard fan. Um, I started a Sixers fan page on Instagram a while back. Um, It's gone pretty well. I'm almost at 70,000 followers, and it's called Joel the Process. I'd say that's better than pretty well. That's phenomenal. Yeah. How did you grow your following that big? So I just tried to connect myself to all the Sixers fans around the world, and I just started small produced my content and i just trusted the process from there i think that is a great motto and perspective to have for it what was the first piece of content that you feel when you retrace the steps went into a viral category and really put your account on the map i'd say just generally joel Embiid's follower growth was just so quick and it just really helped me grow because he became such a great player so quickly and just posting content about him gained attraction. He's a guy who definitely has a good amount of content uh, surrounding him. I mean, what was it, you know, just as a fan from your standpoint, that first drew you to Joel that intrigued you about him? And why do you think he's been able to establish such a strong connection with the fan base? I think it just started out with his personality. He became such a followed guy around the league. It started with the trolling and then... He was able to back it up with basically what has now become the best. He's become the best center in the league. I don't know how you feel about it, but when I think of star power and a player and guys who are considered among the elite and the best in the game, certainly you have to star with skill and talent, right? Like that's your barometer. But then if a really, really good player can have an awesome personality to go with it, to me that just makes it so much more fun. I don't know how you feel about it. I mean, we're recording this podcast right before the Sixers take on the Oklahoma City Thunder. And in Joe and Russell Westbrook on the other side for OKC, you've got like two of the biggest personalities in the league, right? Yeah, definitely. The last game when the triple OT, um, Russ told Joel to go home. I'm sure he's going to remember that. Joe doesn't forget, does he? does not. (laughs) What, um, I mean, obviously Joel is the centerpiece of this whole thing, but tell me what you think about other guys that are part of the squad, like Ben Simmons and, of course, Jimmy Butler's now in the mix. Yeah, I think it's just all about getting them 
getting the chemistry built together. And then we need those role players to come step up. We have Landry Shamit. He's How really about Landry, right? Like, I, I for me, I, I didn't expect this much from him this season. Yeah, I really wanted to talk about him because I had liked him before the draft. So do you watch a lot of college hoops? Not a lot, but I just like the guys that are kind of underrated. Where do you think Ben's taking his game this year? I think it's just – I'm not sure how to explain it, but he's just really impressive, and I don't know how to explain it. Well, he, he it looks like to me, has not taken a step back in year two where you see guys like – and this is take nothing away from someone like Donovan Mitchell or Jason Tatum, but – it hasn't been a linear, smooth season for either of those two guys yet, whereas Ben, I mean, I, I almost, myself, I feel like I take for granted that he just goes out there and he continues to be able to hold his own physically and do his thing and impact the game the way he does. And it's still not even, you know, two full seasons for him yet. Yeah, definitely. His improvement with his jumper is definitely coming along. I think that's really the key to our offense. If teams aren't able to, like, step back and stay in the paint and he's able to like hit those jumpers it's just a whole new game for the Sixers offense so tell me I, I'm like you know this is uh, season number four for me in the Sixers digital media department but I feel like rather than uh, my colleagues and my bosses I should be like asking you for advice on what I should do to build my follower base so what is what is Tyler's give me a rundown of top tier items that you would have out there if you're into giving away free advice that is to anyone who you know might be trying to grow their social media base and following like what do you think some of the keys are so definitely be interactive with your followers uh, talk to them um, I've been answering a lot of questions lately about the Sixers and uh, I go in depth with them Cool, man. Well, good stuff. Thanks so much for supporting the cause for the Sixers Youth Foundation and uh, letting me bug you and pester you with a few of these questions here before we hopefully take in a 76ers win against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Thank you so much. And this year's Sixers Youth Foundation Gala, presented by VIP Wireless, is going to be held on March 11th. It'll be back at the Fillmore, a great night of fun as the Sixers, their supporters, fans, local Community activists work to create a brighter future for leaders of tomorrow. If you'd like to purchase tickets or just find out more about the event, I encourage you to go to SixersYouthFoundation.org slash gala. If you don't know all that much about the Sixers Youth Foundation, the causes it champions and supports, spend some time on the website. And if you're also lucky enough to have the financial wherewithal um, to donate and support, please consider doing so as well. Big thanks to Kevin Arnovitz and our guy Tyler Lehman for being guests on this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next week. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! 
and some waves so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.